A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rue Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rilkins, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. All right. Well, welcome to Emmett Gregg, uh, the CEO of the Society of Incentive Travel Excellence. Welcome, Emmett. Thank you, Rude. Thanks for having me today. It's a great pleasure. We've met uh, quite a number of years back, and uh, mm -hmm. in your illustrious career, uh, both at you know LPL Financial, San Diego convention bureau at you know allied pra through mpi now at site you're fresh into a new role so we're very excited to speak to you because you are both an event owner but you're also uh, seeing a lot of the people that are in the incentive travel business that are in both of these roles right event ownership and then maybe the event designers that are taking care of all of these programs so right, it is kind. Of, it, it is an interesting uh, role to have feet in in both worlds there. So I see it from different perspectives. And also, I I did take one of your courses back at San Diego State University. Gosh, it was probably six years ago now. So yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. it's fun to have been through the boot camp. Well, fantastic. Um, the first question we always ask our guests on that is uh, the question uh, that's that's the first page in the book uh, designed to change and it's a good conversation can shift the direction of change forever now would you leave that to chance mm -hmm. i loved that question i read that uh when i was prepping for this but i think i'd answer it both ways i think that you need to know uh what you want out of a conversation so going into it um not necessarily knowing the outcome, but really what, what are you trying to achieve uh, from the conversation? But then I'd also answer the other side is just to leave a little bit open to curiosity and where the conversation might wander. Because I think sometimes we go into conversations with, with such an agenda and we don't even let the conversation flow where it might and go where it might. And we just kind of keep charging toward the end that we had in mind. And and uh, you'll sometimes see that when you, you watch commentators or people that are interviewing, uh, the ones that they keep asking questions and they sometimes it doesn't even seem like they're listening to the answers of the other person. So they're just kind of going through their checkbox of questions. And, you know, a really good conversation needs to be organic and, and be a connection uh, with that other person. And sometimes that means that it's going to a place where you didn't anticipate. So I'd say kind of a yes and to that, you know, know what you want out of the conversation, but really have the courage to let it wander a little bit. Yeah, I think that's so true. I mean, the, the, the best conversations are the ones where you um, um, really take the time to kind of digest what's being said before you can actually like carry on with the next thing, right? Which, right. which is always, it's always difficult when you're under time pressure because I mean, I'm sure many people uh, and that when they walk into your office, right, you're the CEO and 
you know, yeah. um, I understand CEOs get sold to a lot, or at least, you know, they have to take <laughs> all of these decisions all the time. Yeah. Um, and obviously in that role that you have um, at site, which is very new, right? You've started yeah. a month ago. Just a month ago. Yep. Um, that must be very exciting. But let me, let me maybe um, trigger you with a couple of questions just to see sure. uh, how, because others might uh, be tempted to ask those questions to you, but also might be very interested in your perspective on that. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you, what's currently on your horizon of change? Well, I guess, um, you know, for me at site, uh, this is an organization So my first, when you enter into a new executive role, you kind of have this 30, 60, 90 day plan. So I'm finishing up my first 30 days and it's just mm. been a listening tour and which will continue. But uh, really, I've met probably with about three dozen people already and not only the staff, but the key st stakeholders and the board members and some longtime influencers and really just kind of listening to everybody's perspective uh, about it's 50 years old, the organization. And so mm. we have a lot of longtime passionate volunteers that have great history. And I've been involved uh, as just an attendee in the Southern California chapter here. I live in San Diego, uh, but you know, just really with the chapter level. So hearing mm. the perspective of the global level has just been great. So for me, what's on the horizon is kind of synthesizing all this input and crafting a, a priority plan for 23. And then beyond that, a, a kind of a long-term strategic plan, uh, 24 through 28. So that process is exciting to me. I mean, really it's again, back to not scripting the destination. I mean, I think overall my charge as CEO is to create stability and to set that set the association up for the next 50 years of financial stability membership growth you know really value to the members but all that is going to take all this input and bringing the right people to the table and then having a, a facilitated exercise around that so it's exciting that's probably going to happen in the next quarter exciting stuff so yeah in those first 30 days which you've kind of hit the mark now we're at 30 days the priority plan and you're saying 2024 to 2028 get that kind of mm -hmm. future vision in place to create that stability right. um having just passed 50 myself i know exactly what that feels like because <laughs> you could you could consider yourself your president of your own company right of your own person <laughs> right. and the right. way that you look after uh, an association probably in the very same way um right. which begs the question i'm going to ask you this question which is part of the horizons yeah. of change questions is how do you involve others in the change you design for? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think I, I love the whole um, event design collective model because it always starts with the attendee or the participant in the center. Mm. And when you're designing for anything, I mean, this is good design theory. Mm. Uh, it, it, it's the same start. So if I were to take a look at designing site, the association for the next 50 years, we've got to start with various personas or various types of people in the middle there. You know, what is the value proposition for the longtime site member? What's yeah. the value proposition for a former leader, you know, a volunteer leader? And then really what's exciting to me uh, is what's the value proposition for that next generation and yeah. whether or not they're a site member or they're just the next generation of, of employees and participants in the business events world. I mean, I have a son that's 23, almost 23 years old. He works for an agency in our space. 
And what gets him excited about going to work? It's not the same thing that got me excited when I was his age. So it's really, it's difficult for all of us of a certain age to kind of put our own preferences aside, take that bias, that filter away Hmm. and say, okay, it's not about why I joined an association or why I show up to a chapter meeting or, or a large conference, you know, what drives uh, that boy, is it two generations behind me uh, is completely different. And so can we, I guess it's a twofold answer. Can we lay our personal filters and biases aside? And can we bring a robust and diverse enough group together that we get a lot of different perspectives, even if they, if they don't make us comfortable, even if they don't validate something that, that I had already you know, believed to be true? You know, can we really stay open and curious uh, as leaders to what is driving the best outcome, even if it's completely counter to what I thought? So it, it's an exercise in emotional intelligence for sure. Absolutely. And then, you know, on the one hand, being able to facilitate it, but also having to take decisions, I guess you, you are, you're left yeah. with those two sides of the coin, right? It's like uh, at the end of the day, yeah. the buck stops with you and you do have a board, obviously, that, you know, looks over yeah. the um, uh, the bigger picture. It's interesting how you said to so the member, the former leaders, but especially that next generation, which has this very different uh, ticking system, maybe than the one that we had when we signed up for our volunteer leadership roles in the past, right? It's so true. I, I mean, I heard this stat, Rude, and I can't remember if it was just in the US. It's probably just a US stat, but by 2025, 75 million workers will be millennials or younger. So as the baby boomer generation uh, you know, retires out, migrates out. Hmm. We have everybody that, I mean, this new kind of tsunami of worker that's coming in and you're going to, we all as leaders need to think about crafting that experience for them, whether they're attending our conferences that we're putting together or they're working in our offices or they're working in a remote team. I mean, it's, it's just, we, uh, we all think differently, you know, four generations in the workplace, right? So I think that's really exciting, kind of to get that fresh new perspective and energy into the working world. Yeah, I think, and especially in the field of incentives, I suppose. I, mm. I, I really like incentives because they're so they're so concrete, right? It means you have to change the behavior before you even activate the event, right? So it's yeah, yeah. So it's actually like loaded up front with the true. behavior change, hopefully, right? Measurable. Right before you can actually yeah. then consume that incentive event structure. Uh, yeah, it's a, a good very point. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, because you, there's clear qualifications for most high achievers be, to, to win these trips for their corporations. Yeah. Uh, so in that way, it's, it's very concrete. And I think what the incentive professional uh, is dealing with is still what's, that, what's, the, what's the right program to create uh, that's going to drive the right behavior. So I remember when I was at LPL Financial and we were planning some really, really big incentives. So you're, so we had one for 2,800 people we did in waves, one for the, uh, the higher level one was about 800 people. So you are, you're kind of announcing the locations and the experience a good 10 months before. Mm. So you can drive that correct behavior, but you still have to craft the experience that's going to get people excited. Mm. And um, what we know and, and why it's a good, a good time for incentives is that um, we know that that what drives the most um, the most behavior that we want as far as sales achievement or whatever they're trying to achieve is uh, travel. So it's still top of the list. You know, high end luxury incentive travel is still top of the list. 
uh, to drive behavior and get people excited more than say a gift card program or, or what have you. Mm. Um, and then you couple it with coming out of the pandemic and uh, none of us could travel the way that we're used to or want to. So we do have a lot of pent up demand. So it is an exciting time right now. There's a lot of, um, actually there's now it's kind of a jockeying for those marquee destinations. And so it's, you know, the ones that, uh, that are, people still like the warm beach environments. Um, and so a lot of those marquee destinations are getting snatched up pretty quickly. So now you're seeing that the pendulum swing that planners are getting a little bit shut out uh, of, of the dates and space they wanted because of all of it's coming back to it really quickly. Yeah. Super interesting. So <clears throat> at site, you have your own series of events, right? And for 50 yeah. years, this organization has been about um, we have this saying that, you know, show me an organization's event and I'll tell you about their culture, right? Mm, um, mm. Let, let me ask you this question. How do the events you design, right, become markers of change in your organization? And maybe this mm. could be some of your past organizations or maybe how do you intend that for site? If... Yeah, right. Well, I'll answer what I can uh, in my fourth week of site, and then maybe I can talk about some of my my previous ones. But mm -hmm. I think that uh, for any of us that are in the business event space that are planning these types of events for our our colleagues, you're really cooking for chefs, right? So you have you have a very picky and discerning audience that. Uh, is good at bet. You know they're going to hold you to that high standard. And I know, especially for sites events, they really do like to bring immersive destination experiences into the conferences. So at site we have a global conference. It's our our largest one, and then we have about five or six smaller uh, conferences that are all around the world. And they are, it's not going to be a full day of educational programming. There's going to be a lot of education and then a lot of immersive experiences in the destination itself, because that's what our uh, members need to see in order for them to say, okay, how would I leverage this destination for my own incentive program back home? So we can't necessarily just kind of keep them inside a meeting room all day for that. We've got to get them out get them seeing the destination and how helping them craft that vision for their own events. Um, and I think, you know, when you look back at how people are learning these days, uh, and this, we, we dealt with this a lot um, when, when my former job at MPI, you really need to take into consideration adult, adult learning. And especially during the pandemic, our attention spans are so short. We can get so much education online, you know, straight education online. So what, participants are looking for now is much more um, collaborative and participatory education mm -hmm. experiences. So that really has changed how we've for starting from the call for speakers or the meeting and event space that you're choosing. You know, how is it organic? How is it um, uh, not your traditional theaters set up? It's uh, you, you, how can you get them outside even? Because we know neuroscience shows that People learn outside and retain information better when they're in nature. I mean, there are just so many great learnings now uh, on how the brain retains information and how it really ignites. And so that's really given uh, event and meeting designers much more to work with uh, because it gives them license to say, hey, we are, we're going to take this 20 person breakout session and we're actually going to do it while we're walking uh, on the beach. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's really actually much more exciting <laughs> from the design perspective. It's funny you say that because we just did our EDC mastermind in The Hague in the Netherlands, and that's exactly what we did, right? We, I love we it. deliberately, you know, had these, you know, one-on-one -on -one sessions on the beach, and 
we took people to some of the favorite restaurants, but also at very eclectic ranges of that, right? So maybe something very basic on one day and something very extreme on the other day. And like these extremities that we can now look up and have people more comfortable with is something that I think, um, you know, the good event design doesn't happy doesn't happen just in the happy middle. It's more on the fringes, right? It's it's on the absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a good point, Rude. You know, people don't necessarily take those chances in their normal lives. So while we have them captive for three to four days, let's mm-hmm. just push it a little bit out of their comfort zone because mm-hmm. that is where the brain's going to wake up, right? The brain is going to go, "Whoa, this is not normal." I'm yeah. going to pay extra attention to this. And yeah. all these elements and talk about our memorable experience. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the one they're going to go home talking about is the breakout session while the waves were breaking, you know, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. a great opportunity for all of us. Um, the most recent site event I went to was one in Montreux and in here in here in Switzerland, mm-hmm. actually in my own backyard, which was interesting uh, earlier this year. <clears throat> I love it. Oh, well, and, probably our incentive uh, summit Europe, I think. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And what I, what I really appreciate about that, like what you were saying, is that I think having the experience of being the guest, which many of your members don't often have, right? Right, it's true. Often they are, you know, in the fire, you know, fighting the fire or, you know, yes. containing the fire, as um, um, Melinda likes to call it, MPI, you know, the controlled right. explosion of the event, right? It's, it's like, how, <laughs> uh, you know, you've got this story, there's a narrative, there's all these elements and you bring them together, but ultimately the magic happens when everybody's there, right? So right. Um, having this laid back experience or like, it's not passive, but it's more like uh, in a consumption mode, right? Where you can just not right. worry about is everything going right, but it is what's happening to me right now and what is that, to me right as a person um so knowing that you've had many different types of event experiences you know like you were describing an lpl you know 2800 people that sounds like a massive you know thing to contain 800 people for some people it's like oh that's a small group but if it's very exclusive it's still a lot of people right right sometimes 20 people can be a lot of people depending on what you're doing right 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 Um, how do you have the conversation with your event owner right so you might now be the event owner for your global conference and for, you know, maybe the, the regional summits, mm-hmm. but you're also dealing with organizing committees or hosts or right. you know, all sorts of people right. that are taking decisions about or recommending things to you. How do you yeah. have that conversation uh, with your event owner or you being the event owner? How are having people, yeah. how are people having that conversation with you so far? Right, right. You know, it's, it's interesting uh, because this is not a new conversation, that question. However, we continue to have to, to remind people, all of us need reminders, we need to start with the business objectives of the event itself. So if you're an event owner, so say I'm the event owner of an association global conference, what do I want out of that? Why am I having it? You know, there are concrete reasons we're having our global conference. There's also, uh, I'd say, less tangible uh, things I'm trying to do, like build loyalty to the association, um, have have our our participants find like-minded groups, so they find more allegiance to each other, and they feel like site or the association is their professional home. So I, you know, really taking a step back from saying, okay, where are we going to have it and when? But why are we doing this again? You know, like the really bigger questions. Just yeah. spend a little bit of time doing that, hmm. and. Um, 
I'll give you an example of how that translates business case-wise. So we uh, at LPL Financial had a large annual conference, about 7,000 people. And we're traditionally, we're measuring the things you always measure, you know, the educational quality. We probably, I don't know, 200 breakout sessions, what have you. Hmm. Uh, educational quality, location quality, you know, did you like the entertainment we opened up with? And then we started saying, okay, let's take a step back. What are we really trying to do with these 7,000 broker dealers that are coming to this financial conference every year? Well, we're trying to build brand loyalty. We're trying to make them more confident in their choice hmm. of aligning to LPL Financial. And we're trying to have them uh, stick with us longer and also more confident in the future direction of the company. So yeah. when you start pinpointing things differently like that, I'm not just trying to make 7,000 people happy about seeing a band, you know, for an opening night. I'm really trying to get them to stick around longer and invest more time, energy with our, our company. So then once you identify those things, then you can create experiences that'll help that happen a little more intentionally. Mm -hmm. you know, so we found at least for that, and I can see this happening. Uh, we've done this at MPI and I can see this happening at site too, you know, creating a space where people like-minded people can find their, their tribe, if you will, right. Find their special interest group. So it's, it's not us saying, well, you're interested in this learning, go to room 210. It's like, Hey, here's a safe space. Anybody who's interested in this cause or this topic, Hey, sustainability will come together and, you know, co-create your own solution or your own idea hub around this. Mm -hmm. So I think that is some of the, um, the approach. So identifying what we're trying to achieve, creating the space for, for that to happen organically and not so kind of mm, tact, tactily, tact, uh, I guess more like intentionally at your mm -hmm. event, but then letting it happen organically. And then, then your outcome is going to be, okay, well, yeah, I did. I am more, um, loyal to this organization. I am, I did find my, my people there, so I'm going to stick around longer. Yeah. Uh, so, and it does work. I mean, I think in kind of go full circle with that LPL financial story. Uh, once we started measuring those things uh, and we could say, Hey, because you attended this conference um, on this scale, you feel more loyal to the association. You feel confident in the future direction. You know, then we had a better story to tell to, higher up stakeholders. So we could go to the CEO of the company and say, look at our event, which is a considerable investment for the company is mm. driving loyalty. Isn't mm. that the business case? And then, you know, lo and behold, we get more budget support. We get more headcount support. So it just gives you a better story to tell, but you have to start with what are we trying to achieve? Yeah. I like that. So you basically um, endorsed and absorbed um, the vision of that event owner, in this case, the CEO that is looking for brand loyalty of alignment, giving people more confidence to be part of this organization or, you know, give the business to this organization over another one. Um, <clears throat> it also kind of begs the question, um, um, how, how do you then enable that leader, right, who has a stake, ultimately, they're visible at that event or, you yeah. know, they're, they're, they feel responsible, so they get feedback, right. you know, anecdotal. Right usually all as well. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you do get that all the time. And you're bound right. to get much more in the future as well. Uh, because of these well willing and eager, you know, past yeah. leaders or current leaders or young leaders. How do you how do you enable for yourself? How do you connect the vision mm -hmm. to the event story? Right? Because at the end mm -hmm. of the day, these things have to be like congruent, right? They kind of have to like go in the same yeah. direction. But 
sometimes a team creates the event story and then you have yeah. a leadership direction in your head and yeah. what if these things don't fully kind of align or how do you how do you deal with that yeah. do you think yeah yeah i think it's it's okay for the leader to to be a stakeholder too you know i mean everything we do um is we're going to defer a lot to our audiences and, you know, whether it's our members or our boards and we say, okay, what do they want out of, what do they want out? Well, sometimes that organic uh, approach to event design, you, you might forget that, Hey, the, the leader might have something he or she needs to accomplish there too. So really putting that one of the viable stakeholders that we have to design around, it's okay for the leader to say, Hey, you know what I'm, for example, you know, I'm a new leader. So in our global conference in a couple months, I need to have some stage time so I can kind of craft a vision for everybody. They yeah. need to get to know me. So yeah. that might not have been uh, every year that I need to craft the vision, but this year I need to craft the vision. So I think it's just one of those, um, the leader needs to make sure her voice is heard uh, in that stakeholder, <laughs> you know, the inter interrogation curiosity process as well. Um, and I think the I think event also, yeah. yeah. And as, well, as the event owner, yeah. as the event yeah, yeah. owner then, um, maybe to ask that question, right? So as the event owner, yeah. um, you are, um, I mean, when we design an event, the event owner at the end of the day can never be left out of the mix when you analyze those to delight, right? I mean, right. at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, the event owner can pull the plug on the event, right? Or yes, decide yes. otherwise, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, so you have a clear vision as to how this event creates value for you, right? You are looking at the other stakeholders very critically as well. Um, yeah. How do you? So, so how do you articulate the value the event creates for your organization yourself? I mean, right. you're the leader. And you say, right. okay. You've got this one global event. You've got six regional events taking place or summits. Right. There's a cycle there that creates value for right. the organization. Right. Right. Well, I, I think it's really, if you take a step back again, you think about these events that we do, whether it's, again, a user group meeting or an incentive program or, or mm -hmm. educational conference, these are major touch points to your audience. So going to be the biggest touch point we have all year is mm -hmm. our global conference. And mm -hmm. um, so if you're thinking about, okay, this is our opportunity to, to influence um, sentiment mm -hmm. with our attendees and our, even if they're, you know, if they're not there, how are you, what's your virtual or hybrid experience to, to mm -hmm. influence sentiment to the ones that can't make it in person. So if you think about, okay, what do you want them to think, feel, and do, right? I mean, I know you talk about this in the EDC uh, approach, but what do I want all of my participants to think when they show up? You know, do I want them to, to think about their investment of time to come to my annual conference? It's, you know, none of these is, is inexpensive, right? We have a time commitment. We have a monetary commitment. Um, you have what's not happening, you know, your, your opportunity costs, what you're not working on back in the office. Hmm. So I want them to think that this was well worth it on all yeah. levels. And then I want them to feel, I want them to feel more uh, um, confident in sight. I want them to feel more passionate about my, their association membership and about their, I want them to, to actually, you know, when they get home to do, I want them to raise their hand and volunteer more and deeper. I want them to recruit other members. So if I'm crafting that experience, uh, you know, and, and, and even for the team, I want that for my own staff too, when they go there, I want them to be proud that they worked on the event, but be proud they worked for site. I want them to 
to feel like they, you know, these are all worth it <laughs> and that we were moving the needle with these things. So, I mean, that's just kind of human, human nature, but they, these are emotional opportunities for us. That's why there's so much power in face-to-face because there's, when you're with a room, uh, in a room with other humans and that collaboration and that energy takes place, you know, it's something magic. Um, so it, it is a value proposition for us. It, it is an opportunity every time we convene people together, whether it's a 50 person or an 800 person, um, we can make change with that. So let's let, I'm, you know, I, I am a, um, believer that, that, that collaboration, that kind of energy that that can move mountains. Let's, you know, what's our grand challenge and our grand, um, plan with that time spent, uh, and, and, you know, it kind of goes back to that. These are not just one point in time events. And then we move on to the next one, which is so, so hard as, um, business event professionals, because we're, it's so time-driven. So, you know, you get one, you're done with it. You put it in your rearview mirror and really that discipline of pulling that up and saying, okay, what did we learn from it? What are we taking to that next one? What's the connective tissue between all of our event suite throughout the year? And is it the right is it the right stuff? You know, and then at the end, okay, are they the, still the right six to do? I, you know, are they, th- is this the right approach? It's really hard to stop the train and do that analysis internally. Well, I know for a fact, and that you and I have both been volunteers for some of these organizations in the past, and it's changed our path of our careers, right? So I think true. Um, even the time you spend without monetary remuneration at first, yeah. right? <laughs> Let's say yeah. volunteer leadership can actually... Uh, the time spent in that um, is actually very precious in many ways, mm-hmm. right? Because it can mm-hmm. determine the direction of change forever. Um, and you don't leave it to chance if you do volunteer, right? So I think this is right. the one lesson I've learned, you know, seeing um, many of the friends and colleagues that we're working with across the planet right now are probably people that we once volunteered with or collaborated with or designed mm-hmm. with. Um, which I think should be a really good encouragement for organizations, membership-based organizations where people are figuring out, hold on, I need to spend my time without getting paid in order to, right, fill in the blank. Right, right, And I right. think this is this is probably one of the questions that, you know, like you were saying, your son at 23, what are the questions they're asking themselves? I'm asking my daughter is 24, my son is 19. Yeah. I took yeah. them to some of these events recently to... Yes to get their perspective, right? So I, I, my ultimate curiosity as a father is what makes them tick? Mm-hmm. How different mm-hmm. is it from what made me tick or what makes me tick, right? Right, right. Um, and I think that's that value creation curiosity that we have to like get rid of the bias, like you said, right? We lay all those personal filter biases off to the really far end, yeah. however hard it may be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you know, get a robust group of people to think about that very critically on your behalf and then validate the thinking is one of the most powerful ways of kind of um, re-looking at that, you know, still having your bias because you're not going to just lose it off the cuff. But by listening to other stories, I think you can really see the different uh, perspectives, right? I, I agree. I think here, you know, one thing that is interesting to me to try to solve for as an association executive is, you know, at, in, in, at the very base, uh, we're a membership-based organization. And so as the leader, I come in and I need to make sure that that's a viable model going forward, that the membership always feels taken care of, that their, 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 their dues are, are well-invested. At the same time, 
you know, going to market saying, hey, join this, join this is not going to speak to a 23 year old. Join, join what? Who are you? And why do I have to join? You know, you're, you're telling me we should get married. We haven't even dated yet. So, you know, that, that generation, not to generalize, because I, I tend to feel this way too, but we had to, we had to believe in something bigger, right? Than just, I'm going to join because my mom told me to join. <laughs> so, you know, what's the story we're telling that are we really attracting the next generation, not only to join my association, but to the business events industry in general, are we attracting them in the right way? Are we telling a better story? Because we know, right, Rude, we know this is a great career and we are blessed to have it. I mean, the stories I could tell, right, of relationships, places we've been, I mean, the experiences we've had, who would have thunk it? However, I, it's it's not going to resonate um, if I don't tell that story in some way, it's not going to resonate with that next generation. You know, what do we stand for that's bigger than just membership? Well, we stand for changing the world. We stand for celebrating human achievement, right? At sight. We celebrate, we stand for getting people together because we know we're better together. Um, mm. We know humans were meant to be together and not mm. in isolation. So, mm. so everything we do, the, the tagline all the way down to the marketing copy needs to just be a little more aspirational. Uh, if we're really going to get at that next generation, what do we stand for? How are how are our incentive programs respecting the the environment and the cultures that we visit? Because they, we go to a lot of exotic places, right? With these uh, these incentive travel programs that we plan. So, are we proudly, you know, taking care uh, and leaving leaving it better than when we found it? That's going to resonate with that next generation if we really are putting our actions in practice. Yeah, no, I, I think, <clears throat> I think, um, uh, like you said, with 75 million workers shifting, right, just in, yeah. in North America, for that matter, yeah. let yeah. alone the rest of the planet, um, and what makes them tick, you know, what, what drives that behavior change that they're gonna want to be incentivized, right, because who says that they want to be in incentivized? You know, who says they want right? to do it collectively? Who says we need to question yes. all these things, right? Yeah. Um, um, but I think it's a fascinating uh, subject. I think, yeah. you know, um, what I've really enjoyed in this conversation is you're you're very deliberately listening in the first 30 days. You know, we're now talking <clears throat> after 30 days. You have your conference coming up. Is it in January in, in New York City? It's right? February, February. Uh, 17 through 20 in New York City. Yeah, that's right. where Site was yeah. founded. So that's yeah. why we're going back there. Yeah. Uh, so back to, back to the roots of where it was founded originally. Yeah. We'll make yeah. sure we add the link to your uh, to the podcast comments as well if people want to go check it out or become a member. Maybe they're like, why why am I so there you site? Go. You know, maybe <laughs> they should reach out and have that conversation. Um, what I'd like to do, because you said 30, 60, 90 days is the classic cycle, mm -hmm. right? Right. What I'd like to do, Annette, is to ask uh, the questions we just asked. I'm going to send them to you and see if we can get a little response in staccato writing uh, with your permission, right? Because that's going to sure. give others like this repository that they can now go back to and read the answers that you're giving as a CEO mm -hmm. to these questions, which might be helpful for uh, other professionals. But also, this is a program that's being taught at 25 universities. And they're currently taking conversational skills into their curriculum in order to have Great. better conversations with executives, even when you're very junior, right? Which I think is Great. a critical skill to develop, right? Absolutely. So that's, so that's one ask. Um, the second ask is, we'd like to invite you 365 days from today, roughly, yeah. right? Could be plus minus a week. But would you be willing to be our guest a year from today? 
and then we will look back at the horizon of change because sometimes change can Love feel it. like it goes really slowly unless you look a year back and you go wow we did all of this right <laughs> oh i'd love to and you're so right and and i i think that in the leadership role you get a little discouraged sometimes because you don't see all the change that's happened and so it is a it's a nice treat to stop and say hey actually let's celebrate so i would love to be back in a year that would be a treat awesome well we're going to do that and i thank you for this on stage part of the design to change podcast we're going to meet in a moment backstage. Okay. Um, so if you're curious to hear all of the questions that we didn't ask yet, make sure to meet us backstage. See you in a moment. Thanks, Ruth. This has been another episode of the Design to Change Designer Conversation Series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage.